You're listening to a Sun Life podcast. We pray that you be blessed by the teaching of God's word. For more information, visit sunlife.org.au. Enjoy the sermon. Well, this morning here, I get the joy to wrap up our Mark series. Yeah, we have spent the most of this year as a church community going through the Gospel of Mark. Yeah, I kick-started this series in, in early Feb, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. And, and this morning here, I get to finish off this series. All right, so if you have your Bible, turn with me now to the very end of Mark's Gospel. That's chapter 16, verses 9 to 20. All right, now this gets a bit controversial. So if you've got your Bible there, at the very end of Mark's Gospel, this is a picture of my Bible. I took this photo during the week, and I kind of circled, I've highlighted. You've noticed the fine print in bracket. Can you see it? The earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have these verses. Now, your Bible may not even have verses 9 onwards. Your Bible may finish in verse 8, they were afraid, that's it, period, full stop. Your Bible may have verses 9 to 20, but you will have the little bracket saying, well, the earliest manuscripts do not contain these verses. So what's going on here? What's going on here, right? I mean, I could have easily said, let's just stop in verse 8. James did amazing work last week and we finish, but I felt led to continue on. So let me give you a huge introduction before I open up the Word of God, okay? So what we have today, the Bible we have today, they're copies. They're copies of the original text. No one on the face of this earth have the original copy of the Bible. So no one has the original Mark manuscript. No one. We all have copies. Okay, so back then, there was, there was no office works, all right? There was no photocopier. So Mark's original manuscript back then could not be printed and mass-produced, all right? So scribes, copyists, they would literally copy word for word. So if Mark had his original manuscript, someone would come along, a scribe would copy word for word, and we all know that we're all humans, and we make mistakes. Is that right? So during the copying process, some scribes may add a letter or forget to copy a letter or a word or even a sentence. Yeah? So let's just think about it. Let's say there's the original manuscript that I, I came along. I'm the first person to copy it. And I've got good attention to detail, OCD, but there were, we're talking about thousands upon thousands of words. I'm going to make a mistake, so I make a mistake. Simon comes along, and Simon copies my version, right? And we all know that my version, there's a mistake. I've missed one word, or maybe I've missed a sentence. Simon comes along, and he copies my version, thinking that it's the exact copy of the original Mark's manuscript. And Simon, being Simon, is very, very good, but Simon also misses a word. Michael Hunt comes along. And he copies Simon's version. Can you see where I'm going, right? So what starts off as being like 
a Rolex over the centuries now become a Rotex. Yeah? So there's variation. Okay? And so you can imagine thousands upon thousands of copies, there's bound to be mistakes. So the question we must ask as, I guess, Christians is that, how do we know that our version, what we are holding, the Bible, whether it's the ESV or the NIV, is an original copy? It's like, how do we know? Well, that's where science comes in. You see, science would, experts would find the earliest manuscripts, the earliest one as possible. They would compare, they would contrast, and they'll work out all the mistakes. And what we have today, what you have today, your Bible today, is I think around 99.7 something accurate. I hate to disappoint you. So the Bible that we have today is close to 100% accurate. All right? Now, do you know, do you know, I want to play a game with you here. Do you know that we have more manuscripts of the Bible, right? We have more manuscripts of the Bible, right, compared to all ancient work of literature. Now, take a guess with me. How many, how many manuscripts do you think we have uncovered over the years? Okay, hands up if you think between zero and 5,000. Anyone? There, there is a prize. The prize is Jesus will love you even more if you get this right. Okay, no one. Okay. Who thinks we have uncovered, discovered between, say, 10,000 and 20,000 manuscripts? Yeah, okay, that's good. Thank you. Very good. Who thinks more than 25,000 manuscripts? Yeah, more than 25,000 manuscripts. All those people who've raised your hand, you've got a free ticket to heaven. No. Place your trust in Jesus, remember, not in the Bible. Okay, so if that's the case, right, this particular passage here that I'm going to expound later on, how do I know whether it's actually part of the original or not? Okay, well, let me give you some cases. These are the people, the scholars, who says it's not part. Number one, right, the earliest manuscripts that we have found, the earliest manuscript, the two most earliest manuscripts that we have uncovered do not have it. All right? They do not have it. Which means that if someone added it in, geez, we, we've got to fire those guys because they've really messed up. Because our most earliest manuscripts that we have today do not have these 11 verses. Number two, the language from verses 9 to 20 is very different to the rest of Mark's gospel. You see, Mark's gospel, the language is very, uh, it's a narrative, it's a story. Whereas the last 11 verses, the language is more of a summary. It's very scientific, okay? There are 18 words, there are 18 words in the last 11 verses that we have never ever seen in the rest of Mark's gospel. So people reckon that maybe someone added it in because the language is different, the words used are different. That's the reason why it's not in the original. You're getting, you're getting me right? And number three, they're saying that human nature, human nature is this, is that when you copy things, right, you're most likely to omit or leave things out that are short. In other words, a letter or a word, maybe a sentence. 
When you add things, you most likely add things that are longer. And in this case here, if it's 11 verses, most likely it was added in, not left out. You understand that? Because human nature is that we probably, when we omit things, we may omit a word or a, a sentence. But when we add things, we like to add more in. And so they will say, yep, that's not part of the original. Okay, now what about those who say it is part of the original? Well, here are a couple of reasons why. Number one, they say that, well, the early church fathers, the early church fathers, Irenaeus, Justin Martyr, these are the people who were around 180 AD, so they're only around 150 years after Jesus. These early church fathers, these Christians, they all quoted this part of Scripture in their writings. So they were defending the gospel, and they would actually quote Mark chapter 16, verses 9 to 20. And so if the early church fathers thought it was part of the original, well, we, we better trust them. Secondly, 99 point something percent, so a lot, of all manuscripts that we have uncovered will have these 11 verses. Less than 1% don't have it. So that's the reason why it's part of the original. You got that? You got that? So the question now, you're probably asking me, right? Where do we go from here? Is it in the original? Is it not in the original? Do you want to know? I don't know. You can figure that out yourself. You can go home and you can read more and you can read Google and you can make your decision. But let me say this to you, that our faith is not based on whether these 11 verses are in the Bible or not. Our faith is based upon Jesus. Jesus who came, who died for us. He rose for us. Today, he's interceding for you and for me, and one day, he's going to come back for us. I mean, our faith, whether these 11 verses are in the Bible or not, our faith is not based on these 11 verses. Our faith is based on a man, a God named Jesus who died for us. And one of these days, he's coming back for us. So while we wait for him, we do our best to study his word, follow him, and do his will. Amen? And that's our faith. So right now, I know that there are some of my friends, because I know that some pastors know that I'm preaching this passage today, and they, I've got all these comments in my, uh, in my little messages saying, oh, what are you doing? You know, this is not the Word of God. I say, hey, I'm going to just preach it as if it's the Word of God. And I believe that God can still use me to teach to His people. And if it's not, that's okay. If it is, great. But my faith, your faith, is not based on these 11 verses. Amen? It is based... Upon who? Jesus. Yeah? And that we want to make sure that we leave this morning loving who more? Jesus. That we want to serve Jesus. Amen? Proclaim Jesus. Worship Jesus. Okay. So, now that's a huge intro. Okay? I probably lost half of you. But that's okay. We'll get there. Okay. Now, get your Bible out again. There are three things, typical me, three things that we can learn in the text. They are the Savior's correction. The Savior's commission and the Savior's commitment. Three things in the last part of Mark's conclusion. And I pray that as we leave, we will know that Jesus corrects us, Jesus commissions us, and Jesus is committed to us. Let me pray and we'll get to work. Father God, I pray now 
that you'll help me to teach your word well. I pray that you'll allow us to really hear you as we study your word. And God, um, whether Mark 9, 20 is in the original or not, I pray, God, that you will still speak to your people this morning through me as we study the text. So God, would you open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to receive your word, that we are not just hearers, but we leave this place being doers and being obedient to your will. So would you help us all? In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Okay, are we ready? Are we good to go? Look with me in verses 9 to 14. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, so that's a Sunday morning, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, one of the ladies there, and Mark tells us that she is the one who had seven demons that Jesus drove away. Verse 10. She went and she told who had been with him. These are the disciples. And they were mourning and they were weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive, so when the disciples heard via Mary that Jesus was alive, that Jesus, that she had seen him, they what did not believe. They thought that Mary was incredible. Mary had been hallucinating. We're not believing in you, Mary. You're out of your mind. Verse 12. Afterwards, Jesus appeared to two different form uh, to two of them. The two disciples here are not part of the eleven. These are other disciples. Because remember, the word disciple simply means what? Followers of Jesus, right? So Jesus appeared to two disciples while they were walking in the country. Now, I think these two here were the two that Luke was talking about, the two on the road to Emmaus, where Jesus was saying to them that the prophets, you know, the old writings were all pointing to me. So Jesus appeared to these two, right? Verse 13, these returned and they reported to the rest. The rest are the 11. But what happened? Look in the text. They still did not believe either. How, how bad are these disciples, right? Verse 14, later Jesus appeared to the 11 as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Let's stop right there. What's going on? Jesus appears to Mary and Jesus says to Mary, go and tell the 12, my 12, I mean the 11, because Judas have betrayed Jesus. Tell my close friends that I'm alive, that what I have been telling them in the past is true. It's been day three, I'm alive. So Mary goes and tells the 11 and the text tells us they did not believe. You're out of your mind, Mary, you're crazy. So then Jesus finds two more disciples and says, okay, I'm alive. Go and tell the 11 that I'm alive. So these two disciples go and tell the 11 and they still would not believe, right? And then finally, what happens? In verse 14, Jesus goes, I'm kind of fed up. I'm going to appear to them while they're eating, while they're having breakfast or dinner, lunch, we don't know. And verse 14 says, he rebuked them, you see that? For their lack of faith and their stubbornness to believe. I mean, these are the close friends. These are the guys who should know better. Why? Because in the past, Jesus have told them on many occasions, not once, multiple times that I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to die. And then on three days, I'll come back to life. I'm not going to leave you. All right. I'm going to die. Don't panic. In three days, I'm coming back. They should know better. But they didn't. Jesus sends Mary and they didn't believe. Jesus sent 
two more disciples and they still didn't believe. And finally Jesus says, here I am. You guys should know better. I'm studying this during the week and I just felt so in love with Jesus because it is so wonderful that Jesus did not reject them. Jesus did not dismiss them. Jesus didn't say, you guys should have known better. That's it. I'm out. I'm going to start over again with another 12. But he didn't do that. He came and he corrected them. He rebuked them. All right? He helped them with their misunderstanding. He helped them with their thinking. He helped them with their faith. Friends, you and I, in our journey following Jesus, there will be seasons where we will lack in our faith where we will be stubborn to believe. We know it's written scripture. We've read it. We know it's in the Bible, but we still don't want to believe. God sends people onto our path to tell us what we know, but we still don't want to believe. You know what I'm talking about, right? We come to church on Sunday and the pastor is preaching a message and it seems to be a word catered for us, but we still don't want to believe. And during the week, we're driving and we're listening to Sunshine FM radio and we hear a message and we still don't want to believe. It's if God is sending messages over and over and over again and we still don't want to believe. Here's the thing, that following Jesus, there'll be moments where we have to make the decision, am I going to believe or am I still going to be stubborn? I know it's in Scripture, but I don't want to believe. I've heard it through the pastor, but I don't want to believe. I've heard it through my connect leader, but I still don't want to believe. I've heard it through my friends. I've heard it in the radio. I've heard it in my devotional time, but I still don't want to believe. Have you been there before? You know that's wrong, but you don't want to believe. You know that's a sin, but you still don't want to believe. You know that doesn't delight God, but you still don't want to believe. And what I see in the text here is that Jesus, He comes and He corrects. He comes and He helps us with our thinking. He helps us with our theology because He really loves us. Remember Peter, the guy that denied Jesus three times? Three times, not once, but three times. And what happens is that Post-resurrection, he comes and he has a conversation with Peter. He says to Peter, Peter, do you really love me? I do, Jesus. Do you really, really love me? Oh, yeah, I do. Look after my sheep. Come on. You can still do this. You still be a great pastor. Look after the flock. That conversation there is Jesus correcting, helping Peter to go from unbelief to belief. You know, Thomas... There's another disciple, Thomas, the one where Jesus appeared before them. Thomas is like, saying, I still don't believe. I don't believe. Thomas, the one who doubted, remember? And wh- what did Jesus do? He says, well, come on, touch my side. Touch my hands. Can you see my scars? Do you believe now? See, Jesus, he comes and he corrects us because he loves us. He doesn't want us to be in the state of unbelief or stubbornness to believe him he wants to correct your theology he wants to correct your understanding he wants to correct your thinking because he loves you 
And, and here's the thing. You know, as I, you know, look after my children and I begin to care for them and, and I, I, I love them a lot. They know I love them a lot. But I'm not going to sit back and go, well, you figured this out yourself. I don't really care. I want to correct my children. I want to discipline my children because why? I love them. If their thinking is wrong, I want to come and help them with their thinking. And that's what we see here. Jesus, he sends people. Why? Because he wants to help us in our faith as we keep following him. The author of Hebrews, he, he writes this in verse 12, 4 and 6. He says, in your struggle against sin, so in your doubt, in your walk, whatever it is, your flesh, you have not resisted to the point of shredding your blood and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. He says, these words are encouraging. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises everyone he accepts as his son. I mean, isn't it encouraging to know that he wants to come into our space. He wants to correct us. Why? Because he loves us. And for a lot of us here, you know, you've probably experienced that, right? You've experienced God coming and he's correcting you. He's disciplining you. Not because he's angry, but because he wants to what? Help you in your faith. He wants to grow you. And I encourage you that as you begin to hear things in scripture or Sunday, don't just be hearers, but be doers. Amen? Do the will of God. Don't be like these 11. Oh, I don't want to do it. I don't believe. I don't think it's real. No. Believe. When Scripture says that He loves you, yeah, He loves you. He loves you a lot. Believe. When Scripture says that you are forgiven, yeah, you are forgiven. Believe. When Scripture says that yeah, all things will work out good, yeah, believe. When Scripture says that you are kept safe in His palm, that you would never slip. Believe. When Scripture says that, you know, He is going to prepare a room for you and He's going to come back for you. Believe. Don't be like these 11. The second thing here is we see the Savior's commission. He sent them off. Look in verses 15 and 18 of the text. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. That's the commissioning, right? Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now that's very hard, right? But that's what the Word of God is saying. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons and they will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. I mean, it's a bit confusing, right? But I think as I look in the text here, the emphasis here is the commission. He says, go, go out there. Everything that you have heard, everything you've seen, go out there and share it. Don't keep it to yourself. Don't stay put. Don't get relaxed. Go and share and proclaim. And then he gives a list of five things. I kind of summarize them now. You know, demon casting, tongue speaking, snake handling, poison drinking, Miraculous healing. Now, unfortunately, there have been uh, in history people who've read this 
and thought that, okay, well, I can drink poison and I'll be okay. And they felt really, really sick. Or I can handle a viper or a cobra and God will protect me. And they got bitten. Okay? So when we look at passages like this, it's, it's, it's not descriptive in the sense that this is going to happen. This is prescriptive in the sense that when you go out there and share the gospel message, I believe what Mark is saying here is that God will give you the power to overcome obstacles. So let's say someone comes chasing at you and they're demon-possessed. God will give you the ability to overcome them. Or maybe you were bitten by something. God will protect you. It doesn't mean that you go around witnessing with a, I don't know, a jar of poison. And then you drink it before their eyes and say, watch, I'll prove to you that the gospel is real because he's going to miraculously heal me. There's a very good chance that one of the doctors here will probably visit you in hospital. All right? You don't do that. Okay? What Mark is saying here is that when you go out there to preach, God will give you all you need right, to do the work. We see this in the life of Paul, the Apostle Paul. If you read through Acts, he's experienced all of this. He cast out demons. He healed the sick. All right? He was bitten by a poisonous snake. He spoke in tongues. And every time one of these miracles took place, he was pointing back to the glory of God. All right? And what he was saying is that I can only do all this because God is the one who's actually allowing this to take place so that you can see the glorious God working in me. All right? So when we go out there and when we preach and when we share the gospel, there will be moments where God's going to work a miracle in us and through us. Yeah? And it's like, wow, I could not believe that took place. Yeah, you know why? That was God's power in you, through you, for witness so that you can proclaim the gospel. Yeah? I know of many stories of people going to certain parts of the world, sharing the gospel message, and for some reason, they're healing the sick, they're casting out demons, and they're doing that because God has empowered them to do that as a witness of His glory. Amen? And that's what it's talking about here. So the commission for the disciples back then is also the commission for you and I today. That we are to go out there and share the gospel. And when we talk about missions, we're not just talking about hopping on a plane and going overseas and doing a short-term mission. No, we're talking about God's glory in seeing someone come to know Him wherever He places us. It could be at home. You might be in a family where you're the only believer. That's your mission. Bring glory to God by seeing them come to know Jesus. You could be in the workplace or at school or in the sporting field, wherever you may be, wherever God places you for His glory, introduce Jesus to them so that when they meet Jesus, who is glorified, not Son Life, not you, God Himself. That's mission. Every one of us who have been saved, we are not called to stay put, get comfortable. We're called to bring the gospel to wherever we go. So this afternoon, wherever you, God places you, bring the gospel there. Monday to Saturday, wherever God places you, bring the gospel there. Don't get comfortable. Don't be Christians where, yeah, I've received Jesus and I'm happy and I've got my friends and I've got my connect group and I've got my church and it's good. Yeah, I get it. But that's not in the text. The text says you go out there and you share it and you 
preach it. You've got something so valuable. It's this, this, you know, treasure inside of you. Don't keep it for yourself. Share it. Invite people to your family. Invite people to your connect. Invite people to Sunday. Share it. Someone said to me, and I, I, you probably heard this before, there are five gospel. Five gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you. You're the fifth one. Your lifestyle. The way you live out your days. May they see Jesus in you. Yeah? The commission of the disciple is also your commission and my commission. Get out there. We've got this treasure inside of us. Paul puts it this way here in 2 Corinthians 4. He says this in verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Inside of us, we're carrying treasures in jars of clay. Jars of clay meaning that we're not perfect, that we've got our blemishes, that we're not, you know, there's no perfection, but we carry this beautiful treasure. And he says in verse 15, for this is for your benefit. You know, every time you share the gospel, it's for their benefit. You know why? They get to meet Jesus. I was sharing with someone during the week in my office, this person who don't know Jesus yet, and I said to this person, I really want you to know Jesus. It's not for my benefit, not for Sun Life's benefit, for your benefit, that you get to enjoy Jesus forevermore. He is really worth exploring. You've got to meet Him. You've got to receive Him. Go do it. It's good for you. And Paul says that to the Corinthians. It's good for you. So that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to the overflowing to the glory of God. How beautiful is that? It's good for them. And it's the glory of God. Friends, his commission for the disciples is also commission for you and I. Don't make Jesus' last command something that we just hear about every now and then. Make his last command our first priority. Amen? Get out there. Number three is the Savior's commitment. And the last two verses of the text, verse 19 and 20. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, He was taken up into heaven and He sat at the right hand of God the Father. When we hear right hand of God the Father, it's imagery, okay? It talks about authority. It doesn't talk about up in heaven, there's a chair and there's Jesus, another chair. It doesn't talk, it means that there's authority, all right? He's now in heaven with full authority. Now look at verse 20, the last verse of Mark's gospel. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. You notice that? You notice verse 20? They went, they obeyed, they preached, and Jesus was what? With them. And he confirmed his word through miracles. Can you see that? He did not ascend to heaven. And he looked down and said, oh, by the way, go, good luck, do your thing. And one of these days I'll come back and I'll take you home. The text doesn't say that. He's in heaven, but he's also what? Working with them. He's committed to them. He's committed to the work of sharing the gospel with these disciples. In Matthew's account, at the very end of Matthew's gospel, he says this in Matthew 28, 20, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Can you see that? Jesus is committed 
to these disciples and is also committed to you and to me. Do you know why? We only commit to things that are important. Is that right? I mean, my wife is serving kids' church. She's not here, but she knows that I'm committed to her, to death do us part, because she's very, very important to me. I hope she listens to this message afterwards. I'm committed to this church. You know, I, I'm really committed to you. No matter how tough it gets, I'm so committed to you as your pastor, as your shepherd. You know why? Because you're very, very important to me. I mean, reminded by God of late what it means to be committed to His people. And I'm very committed to you. And we are not committed to things that are not important. Is that right? Like, I'm not committed to the West Coast Eagles. I'm not committed to them at all. I'm committed to the Frio Dockers, right? You get my point, right? Yeah, good, good. Praise God. There's, we're growing. <laughs> but here's my point. Listen carefully. Jesus is committed to the disciples because the work that they're doing is very, very important. Jesus is committed to you and to me because the work of proclaiming the good news is very, very important. We must never, ever forget that because it's all about His glory. God is all about His glory. A comment like that can really shock people's theology. Oh, God is so selfish. God is all about Himself. But the reality, the reality is God is all about His glory. And we get to be part of that journey. So as we begin to serve Him and worship Him, glory is His. As we begin to share the gospel and someone comes to know Him, glory to Him. And He's very committed to that. Jesus is not sitting in heaven saying, you do your thing and I'll come and help you every now and then. No, He's with us every step of the way. He's committed to you and to me in everything that we do. He's right here this morning. He's right here this morning. Do you know that? I really believe that He's right here this morning. I know that during the week as I was studying, as I was writing the message, He was with me, committed to be with me. He is working in our programs. Do you know that? You know, all our meetings, all our meetings, all our planning meetings, He is there. You know, connect leaders, every time you're discipling people and trying to reach people, He is with you. He's committed to you. Our tiny treasures playgroup, you know, Charles and her team, every Friday when you're loving the community, He is committed to you. He's right there. Agape, I know that Agape tomorrow, uh, Nadia and Tiff, you guys are going to have like, kind of a little, like a Christmas party. You're giving out gifts and you're loving the people. He is committed to you. Everything that we do, every project, every leader, every outreach strategy, He is with us. He's committed to us. And if, it, if that's the case, then we must never forget Him. We must acknowledge Him. We start our session by praying and saying, Jesus, thank you that you are committed to this ministry. 
thank you that you're committed to me. I want to invite you to lead. I want to hear from you. I want you to direct this meeting. Help me as I lead these people. He is committed to Sun Life Church. He's committed to you. He's committed to me. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He's forever wanting us to grow. Do you know that? That's the reason why I go back to my very first point. He'll come and he'll correct you because he's committed to you. He'll correct your theology. He'll correct your understanding because he wants you to grow in your faith. Amen? And he'll remind you the importance of the good news. He'll tell you that you're all commissioned, that we're all called to evangelize. Evangelism is not reserved for the evangelists. The evangelism is for every single one of us. God saves, we share. We don't save, we do not save. We fail when we don't share. We don't fail when they say no, but we're willing to share. Does that make sense? So that's the commission there. And he's committed to you and to me. He's committed to this church. And I'm excited for where he'll be taking our church in the seasons to come. Amen. Well, that's the end of Mark's series. The servant, the savior. I really hope that throughout this year, you've come to know Jesus a bit better. That you're loving Jesus a bit more. And that you're going to keep following him. Keep doing his will. Keep being like him. And I believe that if you do that, you would add value. You would bring benefit to the people around you. And God gets the glory. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for um, your word. Well, I'm not quite sure whether this is part of your original word or not, but I just know that you have spoken to your people this morning. Jesus, thank you so much, Jesus, that you, yeah, you would correct us. You would discipline us because you love us, and we're so grateful for that. Lord, any one of us here this morning where we are still stubborn, where we still don't believe or want to believe, I am just praying that you would just grow our faith, that we'll learn to trust you in those moments of stubbornness. Thank you so much that, yeah, the commission to proclaim your gospel is so important. And I'm just praying, God, that we as a church will always be on mission to reach people, to love people, to share the gospel to all God. Lord, this season is a wonderful season to share the gospel. May you give us courage. May you allow us to have those signs and wonders to accompany with our witness. So Lord, we invite you to lead us. And thank you that you are so committed to this church. You're committed to us in what we're doing. And we're so grateful that you work with us and you work in us. And you don't leave us alone. You don't let us to do things by ourselves, but you partner with us. And Jesus, I'm so grateful for that. Thank you for this community, that we are a growing community, that we are growing in faith, that we're growing in being more like Jesus. We just want to do that, Lord, for your glory and for the good of those around us. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.